So Jesus teaches Nicodemus, this is John 3, 1 to 8. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Life through the spirit, Romans 8, 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, or it's in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to the death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, thank you, Carl, very much. I think I'm going to, I'm going to come down to your level. I just want to be a little bit more closer, a little bit connected. Brilliant. So let's just pray. There's so much in that passage, such a, a, rich, a rich passage of all, all the Holy Spirit does. So Heavenly Father, we just ask that um, as we come to your word now, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, you'd open our ears, that we might see you through your word, that your truths might might touch our hearts and change us. Amen. So, um, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were in an air balloon. Um, They had to descend and they found themselves in a field in the middle of the countryside they knew not where. And then just coming along uh, uh, a little country path, A man approached, so Holmes asked him, excuse me, can you tell me where we are? And the man paused before he answered, and he said very deliberately, you are in the basket of an air balloon. And he walked off, and Holmes turned to Watson and said, Watson, that man was a theologian. And Watson said, how do you know? And he said, well, firstly, When I asked him a question, he thought long and hard before answering. Secondly, the answer he gave was absolutely accurate. And thirdly, the answer he gave was absolutely useless. (laughs) And my prayer this morning is, even though I have thought long and hard about how to answer the question, what does the Holy Spirit do? My prayer is that my answer is accurate and I hope not useless at all, but it will hopefully connect with our hearts and our lives. Now, as you know, our focus as a church at the moment is on nurturing a faith-sharing culture, a culture that makes speaking about who Jesus is and what, and what he's done for us a, a natural part of who we are and what we do. And understanding the Holy Spirit and opening our lives to him is really a, a part of, of that. So two weeks ago was uh, Pentecost, and we, we looked at who the Holy Spirit is. And then last week was Trinity Sunday, when we thought about the Holy Spirit in relation to the Father and the Son. And this morning, I want to say a few words about what the Holy Spirit does, what the Holy Spirit does in your life, and my life, and the life of every believer. So we're going to look at these two passages that Carl read, um, John chapter 3 and then Romans 8. And as we do so, 
I'm just going to talk about two things the Holy Spirit does, and that is that he gives us a new birth in Christ, and he makes us more like Christ. To give these two their theological terms, that's regeneration and sanctification. And there are so many other things that the, that the Holy Spirit does. I mean, so many, but I'm not going to try and uh, uh, tackle them all now in, in this talk. But in the next service, Rosie and the All Together Worship team have done some incredibly creative things as they're going to look at a far more broader spectrum of all all that the Holy Spirit does. So do have a coffee and then stay for part two of, uh, of, of this morning. Um, so let's turn to John uh, chapter three. And if you want to, the Bible's right here on the trolley. If you want to grab one, do. But the text will come up on the screen. But actually, just a moment to say, if you have a Bible and it's an NIV, Bring it along with you. There is nothing quite like having the word of God in your hand when you heard it read and the speaker is speaking from God's word. Phones, the screen is great, but when you're holding it in your hand, you can see the overall context as to where the passage is. You can flip maybe to kind of one or two other places. Um, it's a bit naughty of me because it's going to seem as if I'm kind of like... Uh, telling you off or a kind of a passive aggressive thing but if you were going fishing you wouldn't go without your fishing rod if you were going to play tennis you wouldn't go without your tennis racket if you come to church let's carry on <laughs> so let's read from john uh, chapter three now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to see Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing, even if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So Nicodemus is a well-respected Jewish leader who has clearly been impacted by Jesus and his uh, teaching. And he decides to seek him out under the cover of uh, darkness, possibly because he doesn't want others to know of his interest in him. But something's drawn him to Jesus, and Nicodemus wants to find out more about him. And the first thing Jesus tells him is that to know God you must be born again, that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. The translation can also read born from above, but both imply a second birth. Something needs to happen to your heart, Nicodemus, Jesus says. Something so radical, so transformational, it's like birth. Nicodemus understandably struggles to make, to make sense of this, so he asks Jesus, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
The spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again. And that's the first thing the Holy Spirit does. He brings us to new birth in Christ. And a very simple picture as to what that might look like could be, could be this candle. At the moment, there is no flame. But along comes the Spirit of God and lights the wick. And then there is a flame. Something that wasn't there is now there. There's light when before there wasn't light. And just as life entered us at the moment of conception and then birth, Jesus says the same thing must happen to us spiritually. The flame of God's spirit must come and give us spiritual life, must bring spiritual life to our our human life. And the theological term for this, as I said, is regeneration, which means literally regeneration, being born again. And that's something the Holy Spirit does in us. We may not know precisely when this happens. Some people can point to a time when they came to faith. They knew that they didn't believe and suddenly they did believe. Some can't. Some may have known about Jesus from childhood. And they can't identify a specific moment when they came to faith. But if we know that we have faith in Jesus and that God is our Father and that we belong to him, then we have been born again by the Spirit of God. As someone once said, just because you can't recall the moment of your birth doesn't mean that you're not alive. Now, if you're anything like me, you may be a little bit wary of the term born-again Christian. It carries with it the image of the sorts of Christians that others try to steer steer clear of because they express their faith in in ways that are kind of maybe a bit loud and a a bit embarrassing. But according to Jesus, there is no other kind of Christian. Either you're a born-again Christian or you're not a Christian. To be a Christian, whatever your church denomination or your expression of faith, you must be born again. And like this candle, there must be the flame of life. And it's the Holy Spirit who lights this flame. And as he does so, we're born spiritually into the family of God. There is, of course, our part two. We need to respond to the flame with a willingness to repent and put our faith in Jesus and then resolve to live our life with him. But it's the Spirit who draws us to Christ and works the miracle of new life in our hearts. So let's just stop for a moment. You might want to close your eyes and just think about how that relates to you. Reflect on what we've heard so far. Okay, so Nicodemus is still struggling to understand. So Jesus gives him another picture of the Spirit. And this time, it's the example of wind. Jesus says to him, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it, where it is going. So it is, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
I mentioned last week that over half term, Rosie and I went camping in the north of uh, Devon on the coast. And we chose this amazing campsite, a 12-acre field um, overlooking the sea. And we knew we were in for a week of, of uh, sunshine, but we didn't factor in the wind. And I insisted that our old tent still had life in it. I'd bought a few replacement poles online just in case, but I was, I was not prepared for the strength of the wind. And we went to bed with everything flapping around so loudly and the poles bending in and practically kind of touching our airbed. We knew we wouldn't get easily to sleep. Well, it was in the early hours that the tent finally collapsed. And at 4.30 in the morning, just as it was getting light, we gave up. Somehow, I don't know how, I managed to make a, uh, a cup of tea on the sort of stove and we kind of decided what we were going to do. So we took out all the poles, let them just be loose and we just let the tent kind of lie on all our stuff in it and we jumped in the car and we drove to Barnstable. We, um, about an hour later, found a cafe that was fortunately open and we kind of stayed there for a few hours. Rosie was looking online at all sorts of tents and where we could go and on the bang of opening, we were there, the first, uh, the first customers at an outdoor outdoors centre and about an hour later, we came away with this brand new tent, air tent. And we got back to the campsite around midday with this tent, with our new tent, and we couldn't believe what the wind had done to our old tent while we were away. And I've got a little video of what we found there. We come back from Barstable, wait, wait. <laughs> thankfully with a new tent, because this is what we've done with our old tent. Oh the wind has done it work. The, the tent has gone raging into the night. fair we we had it the other way around but it was so bending the other way that we decided to do it well yeah maybe it did but what could we do about it <laughs> anyway great now you may know that the greek word for wind is pneuma and the hebrew word for wind is ruach it's a lovely one ruach and and in both those it means wind spirit and breath and, and breath speaks of life. And the Hebrew word for, yes, I've, I've said that. And being born again is like the breath of new life. And with our baptisms here on Easter Sunday, we, we heard the stories of how the Spirit had brought new life, new birth, new hope, and a new awareness of God. There's the lovely story of the man who was born again and almost instantly left behind his old life of um, drinking and the struggles his family faced because there was never enough money. And his friends at work teased him about his newfound faith, saying, surely you don't believe in the miracles of the Bible. Surely you don't believe, for example, that Jesus changed water into my wine. And the man replied, I don't know whether in Judea he changed water into wine but I know that in my own house, Jesus has changed beer into furniture. Now, I don't know if Nicodemus went away from his encounter with Jesus with all his questions answered 
And you may have questions of your own. For example, what if the Holy Spirit lights the flame, but then that person walks away from faith? Does that flame remain alight, no matter how, uh, <clears throat> no matter how dimly? Or does it have to be relit? Are there wicks of candles that are so damaged that it seems they can't be lit, although the Holy Spirit can do anything? How does it work with children? How soon after natural birth do they need to experience new birth? Is there a sense in which they're born with the light of life that kind of goes out as they get to an age of accountability? We might not be able to answer these questions, but we can reflect on our own lives and simply ask ourselves, do I believe that the Holy Spirit has done this work in my life? Do I have an assurance of faith and that the wonderful last part of the reading we heard, the Spirit in us allows our hearts to cry, Abba, Father, that knowledge of God is our Father. So that's regeneration, new birth, and that's the first thing the Spirit does. Oh my gosh, the time. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is that he makes us more like Jesus, and the theological term for this is sanctification, the process of being made holy, and it's the work of a lifetime. Regeneration is the work of a moment, but sanctification is lifelong. About, about 30 years ago, Rosie and I studied theology at All Nations Christian College. And I remember one term studying a module on the Holy Spirit, and Roger Bowen was our, our lecturer. And I'll never forget the opening words of the first lesson of the course. He just looked at us and he said simply, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make you holy. And that always, always stuck with me. So I want to now turn to our second passage from Romans to see how the Holy Spirit uh, does this. Oh. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. All right, never mind. This is why you need your Bibles, you see. So, in Romans 8, it's all about life through the Spirit. And Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God, but you, whoever and not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives within you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So Paul here is talking about two competing natures of, that, that want to lay claim on our lives. The flesh, which is another term for our sinful nature, and the Spirit, which is our born-again spiritual nature. And Paul describes them as a choice almost between two paths that we can take. We can either take the one that, that, that might offer us many pleasures but will ultimately lead to, death, lead to death or the other 
that will lead to life and peace. And he says that once you're born again, you have a choice as to how you're going to live. You can live by your fleshly desires or you can live by the Spirit. You can choose life or you can choose the path that leads away from God and away from life. And one of the first things the Spirit does is make us aware of this choice. He convicts us of sin. He opens our eyes to where we're pursuing this path of flesh. And he leads us into the truth about the path of life and peace. So we become aware that things we once thought were were okay, that we now need to change. And the Spirit empowers us to make those changes. But what is also clear, and all of us will be able to testify to this, is is that... The Spirit doesn't automatically gain control of everything in our life. He respects our free will at every point. It's not kind of a massive, a massive takeover with no choice on our part. It's a daily choice that we make. It would be wonderful if he did, but he doesn't. And whilst for some who come to faith, the initial changes in their lives may, may be dramatic... That lifelong process of becoming holy is just that. It's lifelong. And most of us here know that. We've seen God perhaps do amazing things in our lives. We may have experienced God setting us free from destructive uh, patterns and harmful habits. But our experience may also be that there are certain things that we still find difficult to overcome and still have a hold on our lives. We're not where we were But at the same time, we're not where we want to be. We can also find, however, that that also habits from the past that we thought we had dealt with once and for all suddenly later on in life reemerge. And we think, what's going on? I thought the Holy Spirit was meant to have control. I'm a Christian. What's going on? And that can often leave us feeling very guilty. Um, And if if that's you, you're, you're not the only one. In fact, I'd say that's probably common to most of us. And the process of sanctification being worked out in our lives is a tough one. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Warring against your soul. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to ask Simeon to come out again. Come on. It's a bit like this. Here's a rope. Very simple. Just grab the other end of the rope. And try, and try and pull me over to the music group. Go on, two hands as hard as you can. That's right. This is, this is what it's like. You feel tugged, the spirit of the flesh against the spirit of life. But then the Holy Spirit gains control. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit manages, and you pray, and you fast, and you govern. But then there's a moment where, oh dear, you're back where you are. And this is a bit how it's like, until eventually in eternity, <laughs> the life of the flesh is gone. Thank you, Simeon. <laughs> Very good. Um, whichever side gains in control depends very much on which side you choose to feed. Um, because the side we feel will grow stronger. Do we feed the flesh with all its worldly pleasures and distractions that are so easy to lay hold of? Or do we feed the spirit with the things of God? Do we nourish our hearts with habits of holiness? 
keeping fellowship with God's people, cultivating a life of prayer, accessing books and podcasts that will challenge and feed us. You may be struggling right now with something that is warring against your soul. You may be at the point where you know there is a decisive step that you need to take, but it's going to cost you to take it. It might be, it might be cutting up a credit card. It might be installing accountability software on your computer or having that difficult conversation with your spouse or a trusted friend. What's the bravest thing you've ever said? Asked the boy. Help, said the horse. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And I know from my own experience that these strongholds thrive in the darkness, but wither in the light. These strongholds thrive on secrecy, but begin to disappear when they're brought out into the open. And when we are met with kindness and understanding, firmness too, but kindness and understanding, the Holy Spirit brings hope and healing. And I'm going to end with this. One of the most encouraging verses in the Bible for me is Philippians 1, 1, 3 to 4. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's so much more the Holy Spirit does. He teaches us, he leads us to truth, he guides us, he helps us, he intercedes for us. He glorifies Jesus, he makes real in our hearts the love of the Father and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. He grows the fruits of the Spirit in our lives. He empowers us for mission. He gives us gifts, which I'm going to talk about next week. And he leads us into extraordinary encounters. He gives us the right words to say. But let's just now, for a moment, let's just be still. And can I just invite you to stand? Father, we thank you that you lead us to new birth. Thank you that you light that flame in our lives. The flame of life and light. Thank you that you are engaged fully in that work of making us holy. Thank you that you awaken in our hearts the knowledge and the certainty that we're part of your family. That we call you Father, Abba, Daddy. You are our God. Thank you for the way that you intercede for us when we don't know how to pray as we should. And I just pray for those this morning who are really struggling, struggling with that tug of war. Pray for those who know that the moment has come to bring something into the light that they've kept in the dark. 
Thank you that you are the spirit of truth and the truth will set us free.